elders for letting me come speak to you tonight. And we're going to be returning to our study through the Gospel of Matthew uh, this evening. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. And I'll do the same. Now, if I understand correctly, last week we had a brief reprieve while you all engaged in a service project. Is that true? Can I get a nod or a shake? A nod or sh- okay, all right. How many of you have that with you right now on your body? Do you have that with you, like the little bracelets or the thing? Oh, we've got a couple of young men over here. All right, very good. What a cool opportunity that you guys got to engage in that. What an opportunity to have a symbol of the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and hopefully an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends, families, neighbors, etc. So thank you for doing that. Now, if my timeline is correct, that means that the week prior, now the week prior to last week is called two weeks ago. All right, we're going to do some math tonight. It's okay, so stick with me. The week prior to last week is two weeks. So two weeks ago, we were in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Does that sound about right to anybody? Okay, all right. Just want to make sure you were here. I wasn't here. I was at a work engagement, but that's what I heard. And really, that passage is truly a mountaintop experience. I'm getting a nod from the gentleman over here, so he agrees. It's truly a mountaintop experience, right? And what's going to happen today is we're going to see that Jesus and his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, they're going to kind of return from that mountaintop experience to, quote-unquote, everyday life. Now, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been on a mountaintop experience? Have you ever gone on, like, maybe a youth camp or a winter retreat or whatever, and you're like, woo! Maybe you don't do it like that. Maybe you're like, woo! And you're, like, amped up, and you're excited, and you're with your youth leaders, and you're, and you're singing songs, and you're hearing the Word of God, and you're just stoked. You're just living it up. You're being encouraged, and then you come back to your camp. And you're like, and you walk in the door, and there's chores that need to be done. And you look over, and there's siblings <clears throat> that need not be yelled at. There's mom and dad, and uh, you've got to obey them. And then you look over, and you're like, homework. Oh, I have to do it. And without grumbling, the Lord says. Yeah, we're feeling it, right? There's vegetables that have to be eaten. There's teeth that need to be brushed. There's armpits that need to be deodorant. All the things that you forsook the whole week at camp. No deodorant, no showers, no nothing. Now you're back in real life. And your mom's like, you haven't brushed those teeth since when? And the mountaintop experience is over. And it's hard to obey your mom and dad. And it's hard to love your siblings. And it's hard to do your schoolwork with a joyful attitude. This happens to me too. You think it's only for you guys? No, it happens to adults too. Sometimes you go on vacation. By the way, I love my job. And it's in IT. Sure, whatever that means, right? Um, But like, I love my job. But then I get to go on vacation. And I get to relax with my wife and my kids. And we get to do all this fun stuff. And then I come back to vacation. And I sit at my desk. And it's Monday. And I stare at the screen in front of me. And I say, this again? This again? Like, here we are. And you know what? In Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, there's a sense in which Jesus comes down from this mountaintop experience. And there's a crowd there. And he potentially comes in with Peter, James, and John, and he thinks to himself, this again? Really? 
we're talking about the same things. We're talking about the same question. We're returning to what is truly a fundamental of the faith. What, are, what is this crowd struggling with? We're going to see in just a minute. You know what they're struggling with? They're struggling with putting just a little bit of faith in Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of faith in God's purpose, God's power, and God's plan. We're going to see in Matthew 17, 14 through 23, what I've called tonight, just a little bit of faith. If you're one of those note-taker people, write down just a little bit of faith. Matthew 17, 14 through 23. This is what Christ is asking of the disciples in this passage. This is what Christ is asking of the crowd and that first century generation. And it's also what he's asking of you and me. So don't think for a moment that this isn't about us. This is about us. Jesus is challenging the disciples. He's challenging the crowd. He's challenging you and I to put a little bit of faith in Jesus Christ and his word. And our theme tonight is this. Our theme tonight is this. Believers need to walk in faith. Trusting in God's purpose, power, and plan. That's our theme tonight. Believers need to walk in faith, trusting in God's purpose, power, and plan. Now, if we had more time, we would also talk about God's promises, God's provision, God's providence. Just kidding. We're going to talk tonight about God's purpose, God's power, and God's plan. And these three bedrocks of the Christian faith. And we're going to see them in negative examples, okay? We're going to see how the people in our story today are missing these aspects and how Jesus Christ challenges them in that way. He challenges the disciples. He challenges that generation. And he challenges us as well because they were not putting their faith in Christ the way that God desired them to and the way God desires you to and the way God desires me to. So today we're going to see Jesus calls each of us to put our faith in him as our sure foundation, right? So let's look together at these three bedrocks of the Christian faith. What does it mean to walk in faith, trusting God's purpose, power, and plan? Matthew 17, 14. Now before I read Matthew 17, 14, you're like, oh, he was almost there, so close. We need to think about what happened on that mountain. So I wasn't here, so someone needs to share with me what happened on that mountain. Matthew 17, 1 through 13. Who was there? Oh, you were there. Oh, no. What happened on the mountain? came back down the mountain. Okay. Does anyone want to add anything to... I don't even know your name. Fox. Thank you, Fox. That was fantastic. Anyone want to add anything to that? What happened on the mountain? He was there, transfigured. For a moment, Peter, James, and saw John saw something that no one living in that... I mean, Jesus was transfigured in a way that was amazing. And then there was a voice, right? And that voice was just out of this world. There was no dispute to those disciples that that voice was holy God. You know why? Because what did they do? You you forgot my favorite part. What did they do? They fell down and were terrified. Now, would you know what fall down and was terrified means? Like, it's kind of like they heard the voice and it was like... (laughs) Like, they were down. They were terrified because they heard the voice of God. By the way, 
I know I, I used to do that when I was younger, and now that I'm older, it hurts more. But no, they fell down and they were terrified because they heard the voice of God. And now these three—Jesus, Peter, James, and John—by the way, fantastic, Fox. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you next time. No, I'm gonna pick on somebody else. Peter, James, and John—they're coming down from the mountain, and they're rejoining the crowd that's there. So let's look at this: Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. Read along with me. When they came to the crowd, all right, pause. We got too far into the chapter. All right, we got to stop right there. When they came to the crowd, now the they we already know, it's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and to the crowd. Now, when you think about a crowd, who do you think might have been in that crowd? Another raise of hand. Can't be named Fox this time. Okay. Good. People were there. All right, people, people wanting to hear the word. I don't know your name either. Go ahead. The disciples. Which disciples? Peter, James, and John were on the mountain. The other disciples? Like the other nine that have like long names? Yeah, okay, those guys are there. What do you think? People that wanted to be healed. Yeah, okay. Just a mob of thousands of people. Okay, that's right. All of these people were there. You know who else was there? The religious leaders were there. They're always there. They're just like hanging around. They're poking. They're asking silly questions. They're always trying to trip up Jesus. And what's happening, we find out from other gospel passages, is they were actually talking to a man, and they were talking to this man about his son. So the religious leaders were there. People were there to listen. People were there. There was other disciples there. And, and there's always the guy that just happens to live in the area, and he was on lunch break, and he walked by, and he saw a commotion, and that was part of the mob, right? That's how he got there. But all these crowd are there, and they're talking to a man, and they're talking to a man about his son. So let's read about that. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. And here in these first few verses, we see the first of our three bedrocks of the Christian faith. The first one that we need to have just a little bit of faith in is we need to have faith in God's purpose. We need to have faith in God's purpose. We're going to talk to that about that in just a second. But someone help me out for just a moment. Why did Jesus come? Why was He here? To save us. How do you know that? Because of the Gospel. It says it in the Bible. That's a great answer, by the way. He came to seek and to save the lost. That is why Jesus was here, Luke 19.10. Now, healing was a critical part of Jesus' ministry because Jesus is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. Jesus, both fully God and fully man, and so he validated his ministry by the means of signs and miracles. And so God is healing people, but he's healing people to point them to Christ. He ministered to the people who were there, but primarily his mission was about saving the lost. So why is Jesus exasperated here in verse 14? 
when the man comes and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And in verse 15 it says, for my son is a lunatic and he is very ill. He falls into the fire and often into the water. So here, here's the thing about this son. We're going to find this out later. Uh, well, we saw it already in verse 18, that this young man's behavior was directed by a demon. He said in verse 18, he says, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him. Now, what does that mean? That means that there were times when his body would do things that this young man probably didn't want to have happen. Most of you don't walk around and intentionally fall into water and fall into fire. By the way, I had some friends years ago, gasoline, um, a fire out in the woods. Like, it was a mess, right? But most of us never intentionally fall into fire. But a demon was over this young man. He was not in control of his body. And that falling into fire and falling into water probably not only was dangerous to him, but maybe potentially was even life-threatening to him. And so that is the state of this man's son. So when the father comes and he brings him to the disciples, he wants someone to cure his son. He wants someone to cure his son. And Jesus and the three disciples, they come down off this mountaintop experience. They see all these things. And the very first thing that they see when they come down is someone comes and they knock on the door. And he says, I would like to talk to the complaint department. I would like to talk to the management. I would like to talk to Jesus because his disciples could not cure my son. Now, was this man's concern legitimate? It was. Was this man's concern real? It was. He had a son, and that son was in danger. And Jesus wanted to save him, but ultimately, he wanted to save him into a spiritual eternity. So Jesus wasn't frustrated with the son. He wasn't frustrated with the father. But verse 17, he says, You unbelieving and perverted generation. What is going on here? Jesus is making a statement about the entire group of people that are here. So this man comes up, and Jesus doesn't speak to him necessarily. He speaks to everybody present, and he says, it is, it is the whole generation's fault that this man is here? Well, well, no. But Jesus was speaking to the disciples. We see that in verse 20. He challenges them on their littleness of their faith. But here, he's speaking to the whole generation. Now tell me, why would he speak to the whole generation in verse 17. Why would Jesus speak to the whole generation? When verse 20 tells us it was the littleness of the disciples' faith. What do you think? Oh, I already called on you a bunch. Is there someone else? Someone over here. Why would he say to the generation, the unbelieving and perverted generation? see in verse 20, he says, because of the littleness of your faith, that's why the demon could not be cast out. But in verse 17, the reason why he's saying you unbelieving and perverted generation, he's talking to the generation at large is because Jesus, in his perfect wisdom and knowledge, knows that the disciples' lack of faith that led to this encounter, their lack of ability to cure this child, was not unique to them. There was nothing about the disciples' lack of faith that was unique to the disciples. The disciples, in many ways, were manifesting the same characteristics that the generation around them was. And so Jesus speaks to the, that generation. He says, you have a problem. You have a problem of faith, and you have a problem trusting in my purpose for your life. You see, for a moment, what had happened is they'd gotten their eyes off the reason that Jesus had came. 
had come. So Jesus condemns the crowd in front of him for being an unbelieving generation. See, they, were, they weren't recognizing that Jesus ultimately there was there to go to the cross. He was ultimately there to save them for all eternity. But the second part of what Jesus says is even more convicting. He says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Now, it's a pretty strong word for the Son of God to say to someone. This word perverted. He says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. What does he say? He's saying, not only are you not believing in me, but you've actually twisted what I've said. You've actually corrupted what I have said. You're no longer having faith in God's purpose. God's purpose is to seek and to save the lost. God's purpose to demonstrate God's power through Himself by curing people and pointing them back to Jesus Christ. The disciples and even these individuals had gotten to a place where they were thinking that the healing was the most important part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was not merely to save people from physical ailments. It was to use those demonstrations of power to point them back to Himself. faith that God's purpose in healing these individuals was to be the glory of Christ and the salvation of those who had put their faith in Him. Because they'd witnessed God's power poured out through Jesus and these disciples who were delegates of God's authority, these disciples were to heal people to point them back to Jesus. Now, think about this for just a moment. How are you, how could you or I fail to have faith in God's purpose? Someone give me an example. What is God's purpose for you right now? I've always doubted that. Fox, what's God's purpose for you right now? Spread the gospel. Bring glory to Him. Yeah, great. What else? Someone else. What is God's purpose for you? As a young man or young woman? To worship and glorify Him forever. This guy's going left. Yeah, he even did like the knuckle bump there. Yeah, left hand curve short or catechism and all that. Worship God and glory Him forever. You know, God's purpose for you is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God's purpose for you is to walk in obedience, to become more Christ-like in all that you do. Now, some of you are here and you have a lack of faith in God's purpose right now. You're like, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's what I should be doing or not. And that's what Jesus says when He says, He is speaking to an unbelieving generation. Maybe you've put your faith in something else. Maybe you've put your faith in your own ideals. Maybe you've put your faith in your academic achievements or your accolades through your sports. All these people with broken arms I keep seeing. You guys are like, man, I'm awesome at sports because I've broken limbs. I never broke anything. That tells you how lazy I was. I broke my nose once when I was like sixth grade or something. And even that was, it's a ridiculous story, to be honest. But what does it mean to twist God's purposes? How could you twist God's purposes? Any idea? That's almost a hand right there. Is that a hand? No? Okay. All right. Yeah, put it down. All right. Close. That was close. What does it mean? How how would you twist God's purposes or twist God's word? Make his word work for you? Do you have an example of that?
Okay. All right. So they would add rules on top of God's Bible to act like they were holy. Okay. All right. I thought I saw a hand right here, and then I'm going to get to you. Okay. Pastor Dusty was talking about that recently. Like, elders should not be fond of sword again. People use positions of authority to get things for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Do good things and things will come. Uh, you're going to have to get your next one. It's easy to twist God's purposes, isn't it? And the, the thing is, when we don't have a proper faith in God's purpose, we can never have a proper faith in God's power. And that's the second bedrock of our faith. We need to have faith in God's power. The disciples and the generations first needed to have faith in God's purpose. And then secondly, they needed to have faith in God's power. Look at verse 18. He says, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Now, why do you think that the, he wasn't cured faster? Because the situation had changed. Maybe, maybe it was different. Maybe it was daytime versus nighttime. The disciples, they couldn't see clearly. They didn't know who they were talking to. You know, maybe it was the end of the day and the demon was tired and he's like, ugh. Like, I resisted these disciples all day and now I'm too tired. Now Jesus tells me to get out of town and, like, I'm just going to take the... No. In fact, the same power that Jesus used to cast out this demon was the exact same power that Jesus had given to the disciples to cast out this demon. But the disciples weren't taking advantage of that. Is it because the disciples had never cast out demons before? Do you know the answer to this one? Let's see if you were listening a couple months ago. Matthew chapter 10. Flip back to me a couple pages. Read with me. Make sure I got this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Jump down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. See, that's the great thing about Jesus is he gives us the power, and He gives us the instruction. He gives us the authority, and He gives us the instruction. So these disciples had the power. They had the instruction. Has anyone ever given you, like, a task, and you just were completely unable to do it? Go jump over that building. You? Yeah, give me something. What do you got? Or you're just nodding. Sports players. Yeah. He's like, hey, go run that 100 yards in, like, 2.7. Is that reasonable? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I cannot believe you didn't make that impossible shot. Yeah. Yeah. The great thing about Jesus is he never asks us to do anything that he doesn't give us the power to do. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for most good works. Does anyone know that verse? He's equipped for every good work. Got the nod. Whew, that was close. I was afraid I was going to yell. Equipped for every good work, God gives us both the instruction and He gives us the authority. So then when we get to verse 19, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, why could we not drive it out? The problem is, is they're using the word we. He said, because of the littleness of your faith, verse 20. He 
said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, here's the thing about the mustard seed in the mountain. Does anyone raise their hands? I'm not going to call on you, by the way. So you can raise your hand safely this time. How many of you have heard about the mustard seed in the mountain? Just show me by raising your hand. Okay. All right. Now put your hands down. So the rest of you, either your arms are very tired or you've never heard the story of the mustard seed in the mountain. Let me tell you how the story of the mustard seed in the mountain goes. Okay. This is how it works. You in the back, can you see the mustard seed? Can you see the mustard seed? Is it there? You need to say, do I have a mustard seed? Say it louder. Yes, I have a mustard seed. Can anyone see my mustard seed? All right, now let's just imagine for just a moment. In my hand was a mountain. Just just go with me. It's crazy story. I have a mountain. Can you see the mountain? But if it was an actual mountain, could you see the mountain? Yes! Yes! The cool thing about the story of the mustard seed in the mountain is the mustard seed is very tiny. And the mountain is very big. Now, Jesus couldn't have used like protons, neutrons, quarks, atoms, all those things, because these people didn't know about it. So what he did is he said, what is the smallest thing that these people have probably ever seen or touched? And he started with maybe like, fruit, seed, mustard seed, mustard seed, super small. Mountain, very big. If you have this much faith, you can move that mountain. That's what Jesus said. If you have this much faith, you can move that mountain. Remember that mountain that we just came off of? It's in the backdrop. It probably makes a great picture. This much faith. With just a little bit of faith, you have access to the infinite power of God. Now, by the way, I love it when Jesus is funny. And I think Jesus is funny here. Maybe not everyone thinks he's funny. I think Jesus is hilarious. Listen to this. Verse 20. Because of the littleness of your faith. He says, because of the littleness of your faith, you could not heal this person. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if you had faith the size of the smallest thing that you've ever seen or touched, you could move that mountain. You know what Jesus is saying? Your faith is so little, no one can see it. It's not even there. The disciples had misplaced their faith. So just remember this. In the story of mustard seed versus mountain, mustard seed wins every time. Right? Because this isn't about moving mountains, by the way. Moving mountains in the Scriptures is used as this impossible task. And you see that in verse 20. He says, the mountain will move and nothing will be impossible to you. What is Jesus doing? He's trying to draw a contrast between just a little bit of faith in an infinitely powerful God and the tasks that are in front of us. He was telling the disciples, by the way, that they had no faith in Christ when they were going to carry out that task. They were not putting their faith in Christ. Somewhere along the way, they had moved their faith from Christ to themselves, and they thought they could do this all by themselves. Have you ever been there? You started with this mountaintop experience, and your faith was all in Christ, 
And then when it comes to the grind of life, you realize that my faith is only in me. MacArthur said this, when Christ sent the disciples out, he explicitly commissioned them to do these kinds of miracles. We saw that in chapter 10. But yet, less than a year later, they failed where they had once succeeded. Christ's explanation for their failure was that their faith was deficient. The problem lay in a failure to make God, rather than their own gifts, the object of their confidence. Have you ever done that? Have you ever started out strong, and then maybe it didn't end so well? This is what happened with the disciples. For a moment, they lost sight of God's purpose. They lost sight of God's power. They were doing great. They were listening to God. They were hearing God. They were obeying God. They were going out into the community. They were telling people about Jesus. They were healing. And then somewhere along the way, they lost sight of why they were doing it. Jesus said to them, their faith was deficient. That happens to us sometimes too, right? Let me give you a quick example from myself. There was a time when I was about your age. And at that time, I was sitting at a table in a kitchen in southeast Missouri. And across the table from me was a bearded man. And this bearded man was my father. Now, my father was saying things to me that I was not excited about. Because I had done some things that he was not excited about. So his job before God was to tell me as his son how I was not acting according to God's word. Now, in that moment, I had a couple of options. And I chose what I thought was the best one. And I put my faith in my purpose and in my power. And out of my mouth came three words. I hate you. I hate you. I said those to the bearded man that was across the table of my father. And in that moment, I sinned against him and I sinned against God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Ben, like, don't you know what God's purpose for you is? And I would say, yes, I knew the Bible. I knew what God wanted me to do. I, I, I believed in Jesus and I wanted to follow him and I wanted to follow God's word. And Ben, didn't you know that you have the power of Almighty God to be able to honor your father and be obedient to him and the Lord for this is right? And I said, yes. But, for a moment, I had taken my faith off of Christ and I'd put it on myself. Because you know what? I decided that it was my job to tell my father something. It was my job to communicate to him all of the things that I was feeling. I thought it would be wrong for him not to know what was going on inside of me. And so for just a moment, I remembered that passage, Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. And I twisted it. My unbelief, what started out as unbelief and lack of faith in God's purpose, power, plan for me, then I twisted God's word. And I said, you know what, I think what God really means is honor your father and mother most of the time. Honor your father and mother most of the time. But sometimes, I think God would understand, sometimes I just need to tell him how it is. Because he needs to know what's going on inside of me. And isn't that how it happens? We start by saying, and it starts with a lack of faith, but then we start to twist God, and you over here said it perfectly, we change God's word to justify our behavior. Let me give you another quick example for you. Some of you are getting to the point where you have realized that there is a thing called relationship. And the cool thing is the Bible makes this super clear, by the way. In case you're wondering, there's two kinds of people in the Bible. 
There is married people, and there are not married people. Perfectly cool. And so some of you are going to get to a point, and maybe you know friends who have gotten there who have thought, I don't know if God's Word, what it says about how married people or not married people should relate to one another is I bet it probably means it most of the time. It probably means it most of the time. But you know what? What if we twist God's Word a little bit? What if we said like, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, which says our body is a temple to God and we need to protect it as holy unto Him. That means that most of the time. I mean, we're pro- like, we're, we, we love each other so much, we're probably going to get married anyway. We've twisted God's Word. God's Word has said that there is a way that you relate to one another, and your job is to honor that according to God's Word. Now what you're thinking is, but what if I don't have the power to do that? And that is what we're talking about right here. The disciples had lost their faith in God's power for just a moment. But I will tell you this, that if you, I'm going through these mustard seeds like they're candy, so I keep dropping them. If you have just this much faith, in God's power, you can move a mountain. You have the ability to overcome every sin and temptation that will come to your doorstep if you will put your faith in God's power. He gives you everything that you need. Faith in His power. And nothing will be impossible to you. That's what He says at the end of verse 20. Nothing will be impossible to you. Let me tell you what, if you're right, if you're here tonight and everything seems impossible to you, then you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. If you're here tonight and every sin is overwhelming you, then you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight because only through Him can we have the power to walk in a manner that pleases Him. We need to have faith in the power of God. And when we walk in God's purpose and in God's power, we have everything that we need to walk in obedience to God's command. Now here's the thing. When you have faith in God's purpose, faith in God's power, then you are equipped to have faith in God's plan. Verse 22, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. They were deeply grieved, verse 23. Now Jesus is reminding them of something that He's told them before. Okay? Because He knows that like you and I, we need to be reminded of things. So Jesus is going to remind them of something he said before. And if you're listening, Jesus is going to remind them of something he said before. And if you're listening, Jesus is going to remind them of something he said before. Because Jesus thinks it's important. And so should you and I. Now the cool thing about this passage in verse 17, by the way, if you look at verse 23, he says, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were deeply grieved. Now the cool part is what's not in this passage. All right, what's not in this passage is none of the disciples decided that it was their opportunity to stand up and yell at Jesus. I know you're thinking, well, that's silly, but if you were here a few weeks ago, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, flip back, it says, From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Sound very familiar? Very familiar to what we saw in chapter 17. But look at this. This is the fun part. Peter took Jesus aside. And he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, 
I know that the disciples listen to what Jesus says. I know they do. Because all of them heard that, and they all decided they did not like to be called Satan by the Son of God. So when they got to chapter 17 and verse 23, no one said anything. You notice that? Yeah. Maybe you didn't notice before. You notice it now. And they were deeply grieved. No yelling, no like, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, I'd like to uh, add something. No. They're like, that's interesting. Right? That's interesting. They were deeply grieved. This word grieved means grief, sorrow, longing, really this, a, a deep sense of discouragement. So they weren't jumping up and yelling at Jesus, but they were also discouraged, sorrowful. Why? Because they missed God's plan. If they'd had faith in God's plan, they would have known that what Jesus was telling them was that the Son of God was going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill Him and He will be raised on the third day. They would no longer have to offer sacrifices. They would no longer have to follow the law. In Christ, they could put just a little bit of faith and be saved for eternity. That was what Jesus was offering. But they weren't sure about that plan just yet. But that's okay. Because Jesus was going to tell them what He told them again. Jesus was patient with them. He was going to tell them what He told them again so that He might strengthen them and encourage their faith. So that they might have faith in God's purpose, God's power, God's plan. If you are here tonight and you're like, I don't know about this, I challenge you to take the opportunity during small group or after to talk to one of your youth leaders. You said, this has always been impossible to me. To hear this word, to obey it, to follow it. I need Jesus. Ask someone tonight. Maybe ask your friend that you came with. Maybe say, I know you said you read your Bible. I don't know how. It always seems impossible to me. Someone here would love to pray with you. And if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I've been on one of those mountaintop experiences. And I felt like I was coming down. You're like coming down and it's kind of a downhill slope. And you're getting inertia and you're running. And then it flattens out. You know what you need? You need someone to pray for you. You need a friend to encourage you. You need to hold each other accountable so that you might be able to put a little bit of faith in Jesus Christ, a little bit of faith in His purpose, a little bit of faith in His power, a little bit of faith in His plan. God has a perfect plan for you. God's power is big enough to save you for eternity. If we will but put our faith and trust in Christ, the power of Almighty God becomes available to you, not only just to secure your salvation, but to empower you to live a life full of God's purpose for His glory. Let's pray. God, we thank You for tonight. We thank You that You have given us a passage, Father, that showed us through the disciples, through the generation, that present generation, that crowd, Father, that we are just like them. Sometimes we need strengthening of our faith. We need encouragement. We need to have be reminded from Your Word that You want us to put our faith in Your purpose. Father, You came to seek and to save the lost. You came to glorify Yourself. Father, might we put our faith solely in You. Might we never be found deficient. Might we understand that You have given us everything we need to walk in obedience in this life, to walk in relationships that are holy, to honor our parents, to do our work with excellence, to glorify Your name. And Father, might we trust that You will give us the ability to trust Your plan. There might be things about our lives right now that we struggle with. There might be things that aren't 
the best. And we somehow wrestle with, God, what have you done? But it's ultimately, it is your perfect, perfect plan. Might we put our faith and trust in that, that you will glorify yourself, that you will give us the power, you will give us the faith through Jesus Christ to trust you, to walk before you, to glorify you. In Jesus' name.